Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the edge rusher slash outside linebacker position. How good can this Bucks pass rush be going into this year? We could talk about the defensive line as well because it kind of works hand in hand. So a lot of fun conversation to get into today. I'm your host, Matt Matera, and join with me is someone that is not just a colleague and a friend, but a great man. His first name is Josh. The first letter of his last name starts with Q, and that Q not only stands for Capo, but it's for quality because he's a quality person and a quality analyst. It is Josh Capo, FuturReport.com. Josh, thank you for joining the show today. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well, Matt. How about you? You always have the best intros. I, you know, I try to come swinging with you because, uh, you know, whether it was our uh, what day is it during the season when we send videos back and <laughs> forth to each other with a thousand middle names, whether it's just, uh, you know, conversations between you and I or in the chat, uh, you're always bringing it. So I feel like I have to bring it as well. So very happy you're joining us today. Just a reminder, Scott Reynolds is in Colorado. We'll talk a little bit about Colorado later on the show today, if you know where I'm going with that. Um, so Josh is kind enough to join us. And Josh, it's been a little bit since we've had you on the show. We're going to talk about the uh, the pass rushers and uh, how the Bucks defense is going to look this year. But before we get into that, let's just talk a little bit about um, the Bucks schedule, how you feel about it. Um, over under six and a half wins is what we're looking at for Tampa Bay this year. Just give me your thoughts about how the schedule shapes out and can this team be better than what a lot of people are uh, projecting them to be? Yeah, I think, um, I actually think most, I think Vegas has a pretty good handle on it. Um, I was looking at draft Kings implied odds, you know, based on the money line, um, uh, money lines. And I think if you totaled that up, they had uh, around 7.1 wins I want to say the over-under for the season total on most betting sites is around six and a half. And I think that's actually pretty, pretty reasonable kind of median. I think the biggest issue is the Bucks are one of the highest variance teams uh, in the NFL this year. And it's a, um, I want to say it's a combination of so many different things. Uh, it starts at quarterback, right? Assuming Baker Mayfield wins the quarterback job, which uh, QB one job, which I do if you look at his career, you have some real low lows, right? The injury riddled 2021 season, right. uh, 2022 when he got traded to Carolina very late in the off season, didn't have much time to learn the playbook and, and really develop any rapport with, with his pass catchers. Then got a head coaching change mid season, then got traded to the Rams. You know, those are some low lows, but if you go back to the last time he was um, healthy and, in a system that catered to his strengths and a system he knew and had a chance whole off season to really learn. Um, that was 2020 and Baker Mayfield had a top 10 season among all quarterbacks and led the Browns to a playoff win. So when the most important position has such a high variance, the team in uh, will follow. Um, you have that, you have a down NFC South, you have a down NFC overall um, that allow seven teams are going to get in from the NFC, you know, and, and I think you can really only pencil in four locks, maybe five. Yeah. And those other two spots are really, it's anybody's game. 
So, um, you know, I think I saw something yesterday where like uh, technically the Bucks are only favored in one matchup this year. Yeah, but you see a lot of others where they're, you know, it's a one point spread. So uh, by implied odds, it's basically a toss up. I think that it's going to be a roller coaster of a season. I think somewhere between seven and nine wins is probably um, six and nine wins is probably a, a reasonable bet. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I mentioned, I think it was last week when we were talking about the schedule in general, where I think at the end of the day, the Bucks could end up with almost the same record as they had last year of eight and nine, but it's going to look completely different than how it did uh, a season ago. I mean, obviously a big part of that is because you have new coaches in town, especially offensive coordinator, Dave Canales and the offense is going to look so different. So hopefully they get more points scored than they did the year before. Uh, but if they're scoring more points, if that defense kind of stays around the same level of performance that they had the year before, then in a crazy way, they could get, you know, 10 wins. If, if you were getting better offensive production with the same defense production of the year before, I don't think that's really too far fetched to say Now, the caveat in all of this, of course, is the quarterback competition, Baker versus Trask. I'm with you. I think this is Baker's job to lose. And not just completely because Dave Canales is like, I love this guy. I just love his swagger and all that stuff. But I think it's more of he's diving in well with these guys. He's going to when the Lightning were in the playoffs. He's going to the Lightning games um, and just kind of meshing in right away. I don't think Kyle Trask is a bad leader by any means, but I don't know. It, for me, if you're going between the rah-rah guy, the chip-on-your-shoulder type of dude, or the lead-by-example demeanor type of guy, <laughs> I'm going with the rah-rah guy day in and day out. I just think that's better for the team overall. Like, a little too chill, a little too calm, cool, collected. And maybe that's not fair to him because he hasn't really been on the field much besides that Atlanta game, but – I don't know, just the the overall psyche, I kind of tend to lean towards Baker. Yeah, I I think there's something to be said for, you know, you just you assume you're in the position you want to be in and and you act that way and and things will kind of fall into place. And I think that that's very much um, what's going to, to happen. And I also just think the level of play. Baker's level of play is better than contrast. And I think that's going to bear fruit in um, OTAs and in training camp and in the preseason. The one thing that could maybe lead the Bucks to going to to Trask, and it's it's Dave Canales said it, a, a, I want to say, in his last media availability, and it gave me a little bit of pause. Is he said almost the entire decision is going to be on who takes care of the ball the most. And then he said kind of the tiebreaker would be who pushes it down the field. I, I just don't, and I, I trust the Bucks decision makers to not take that too far to its most illogical conclusion where you have somebody who's unwilling to move the ball at all, checks down everything, but technically doesn't turn it over, but doesn't move the offense at all winning the job. And I think that that's really the only way where Kyle Trask maybe could technically beat out Baker because Baker's going to take some shots, but you want a quarterback who takes shots. The guys who have the most big time throws typically are the, the quarterbacks who have the, you know, are the best. They're the ones who are willing to push the ball, ball downfield. So there's a balancing act to it. And I just hope the Bucks don't put it all on the lack of turnovers. 
I agree. There, there is, there's a fine line between conservative football and being absolutely reckless with it. So hopefully Baker Mayfield can, uh, can kind of find that balance. Cause I do agree. Like the bucks still have to move it. And I think that's important to fans to remember is, you know, canals comes from the, the Seattle system. We all know that we've said it a billion times, but you know, maybe they weren't, the most aggressive team, but they still were averaging a lot of yards per game and a lot, a lot of points per game, you know? So you don't have to have the crazy. And listen, the Kansas city chiefs are the cream of the crop. They're obviously the super bowl champs and have won two over the last four years. And they have a lot of those exciting splash plays. You certainly need a pinch of pinch of that. You, you need to mix it in there here and there, but it doesn't need to be the MO of your offense. You can methodically move down the field. There's nothing wrong then, uh, you know, eight-minute, 80-yard drive that ends up with seven points. You know, there, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I uh, right. just want to get to a couple of comments from uh, the Peter people. We appreciate you guys for joining us today. Uh, Grizz says, nine wins, baby. Book it. Flash Gordon says, Bucks get 10-plus wins early. In fact, they are Super Bowl favorites. Flash Gordon, Gordon I want to know where you're betting on because uh, I don't know if you're getting enough uh, – I don't know if you're getting enough bang for your buck. Tony D says, uh, if Baker is the starter, six to seven wins. <laughs> Chris, again, my biggest concern is the McLaughlin fella. We just lost our highest scoring player in suck up. Well, I mean, part of the reason why McLaughlin was brought in is because he can, he can hit the, uh, the deep ball, the, the 50 plus yep. yard. And that was the one weakness of, uh, that's the one weakness of Ryan Suckup, which he's not here anymore. And uh, Richard, said, Richard says, uh, LFG, NFC South Division champs three years straight. Well, I mean, you look at the whole division. Curious to get your thoughts, Josh. You know, the, the Falcons made a bunch of moves during the offseason before we even got to the draft. Uh, the Panthers obviously found their franchise quarterback and their hopefully number one wide receiver. The Saints, we know what's going on with them, with um, you know, with Carr being in the building, but a lot of changes on the defensive side. Do you really give the favorite to anyone in particular, or is it kind of just a doggy dog kind of situation going into this season? I, I think it's going to be very similar to last year, where you know, come December, all four teams are still in it, and, and nobody pulls away. Um, I, I can, I very much see a reality where they eat each other alive in the in-division games and they similarly struggle out of division. Um, and the division winner maybe has a winning record, potentially doesn't for a second straight <laughs> year. And the NFC South turns into what the NFC East was for, for quite a few years where you're like year after year, you're like, man, do we really have to send one of these teams to the playoffs? Right. So, um, but no, I don't see anybody separating themselves. I could see a path to each of the four teams winning the division. I really can. that part of it, but I do feel like you have a losing record and the wild cards you're playing has a better record that they uh, should end up being home team. You you broke up through most of that, Matt. I know you're you're working on a hot spot at the moment, but I didn't catch uh, most of that. Yeah, I apologize. Uh, yeah, just a little behind the curtains for everybody. Uh, the Wi-Fi is out in my apartment, and uh, they cannot come to fix it until Thursday. So, the hot spot situation. I apologize if I break up at all. 
this show. What I was saying, yeah, you hear me now, is I'm wondering if eventually the NFL will change the rule when it comes to um, having the division winner. If they have a losing record, if their record is worse than the wild card team that they're playing, I think the wild card team should end up having a home game for that round because it's kind of silly when you have a, a losing team. And sure, the the Seahawks beating the Saints was awesome with Marshawn Lynch, and it happens here and there. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm all about fairness. I think that that wild card team with the better record should host the opening round playoff game. I can see arguments on both sides of it, and, and we know the NFL is um, slow to make changes unless there is a financial benefit for them. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't see that happening, um, on, on at least on the near horizon. Yeah, I hear you. It's, it's interesting, like, what they will kind of just shovel in right away and what taking years to get going. So, uh, you never know what the NFL will keep you on your toes. And uh, what's going to keep us on our toes and keep our eyes wide open this year is the pass rush of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, obviously, some changes this year. Um, Staying the same, though, uh, you know, you still have your core nuclear of Shaq Barrett, Tryon Shoyanka, uh, Anthony Nelson, they re-signed this year. Of course, they drafted uh, Yaya Diaby um, with their third-round pick. I actually want to start with Yaya, and then we can kind of talk about everybody else. Uh, because Yaya was making waves in Bucks rookie minicamp, not for really anything that he did on the field, but we posted a picture on pewterreport.com and everyone, it was just of Yaya warming up and everyone's like, Oh my God, he's a tank. He's gigantic. <laughs> he's huge. People are in love with Yaya Diaby for how he came into uh, this year's Bob rookie mini camp. Uh, for the pewter people that don't know about Yaya, what's he going to bring to this team, Josh? Yeah, so first of all, the aesthetic is real clean with that number zero on him. Uh, and I think that yes. that probably played into the impressiveness of that picture um, because he looks real good with that number on. But the other thing that Diaby brings is, is an amazing amount of athleticism to the position. And the athleticism, at least the way it translated in, in college for him at Louisville, is um, in a way that the Bucks really lacked from their edge rusher room. And, and since Jason Pierre-Paul really was at kind of the height of his powers with the Bucks, and that's um, a power rush, you know, a bull rush, a guy who can win to the inside. Joe Tryon, Shoyanka, um, you know, he's more of, he, he wants to get around um, offensive tackles. He wants to beat them uh, to the edge. He wants to get, get around them on the arc. Um, same thing with Shaq Barrett, you know, he, he wants to use his quick step to get around, um, offensive tackles, but Diaby's got the, the size and the strength and the bull rush ability to go through offensive tackles. And when they give him the lane inside, he's not afraid to, to push through that inside shoulder and get to the quarterback, um, at an even quicker angle. So, uh, he brings an element to the, to the room that, was missing, I would say, last year and even two years ago when Jason Pierre-Paul was trying to play through injury. Um, and I think that that's an element that this edge room needed. Yeah, I, I wanted something different with this team, just for the fact of 
you know, you have a smaller guy with Shaq Barrett, someone that's got that speed that always tries to get that first quick step. And then you kind of have, they're not exactly the same, obviously, but you know, you have the tall lanky guy with Anthony Nelson. And then you, you got Joe Tronchenko. That's kind of a little bit of everybody. He's, he's quick. He's got the speed. Um, he's built like an absolute brick house. And there's obviously a lot of uh, exciting. And I think we just lost Matt. So I'll try and pick it up from him. And give me just a second here. Let's see if I can. Oh, he's back. <laughs> uh, uh, like I said, dealing with some uh, live issues. Uh, all I was really going to say about yeah, on the rest of the outside room is that, yeah, I, I agree with the fact that it's someone different that brings the element of APP, whether it's just aggressiveness, whether it's like a little bit more power when you have kind of like the slick Shaq Barrett, the tall, lengthy player in Anthony Nelson, and then JTS. It's kind of like a combination of everybody. He's obviously bigger than like Shaq and, and muscular and, and has some quickness too. We'll talk about all those guys in a second. But if you're Todd Bowles and you're uh, dialing up some big plays or, uh, you know, have a couple things keyed up for Yaya, do you see him as someone that should just like kind of come in on third down someone that maybe should play early or kind of maybe get like two drives at a time to give a break to JTS or Shaq Barrett. Uh, how would you implement Yaya? I think he can work on early downs because his run defense was actually a plus for him in college. So that gives him the, it gives him a path that if he can develop um, that he can become a, a, an every down rusher. Uh, or every down outside linebacker. And he certainly has the speed to drop into coverage, which is something that Todd Bowles really likes to do. Um, I think the best, the best way that he can be utilized is similar to how JTS was his rookie year. He's going to spell uh, Shaq Barrett. He's going to spell JTS uh, for a couple drives a game. But then I think the Bucks will also maybe um, ebb and flow his role week to week based on the strengths and weaknesses of the offensive tackles they'll be facing. So if you have a right tackle or a left tackle coming up on, on the schedule that struggles with power, that's a game where you'll probably see Yaya um, play more, right? Because you're going to take advantage of the fact that he is a power yeah. rusher, something that the other guys don't necessarily have. Not that JTS can't, um, use that, but he hasn't really shown it consistently through his first couple of years in the league. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's all of his tape is power. Um, so I think that that's how you you kind of utilize him best. You give him, you you spell him in for the starters. You're not afraid to use him on early downs, so you can use him on full drives, couple drives a game. And then when the advantage works out that way, based on the matchups, you, you may be increase his usage um, on a, a weekly basis based on the matchups. I like it. Yeah, that, that seems probably the, the right route to go. I am curious to get your thoughts about, you know, Yaya took a big jump. You know, his, his stats were not much. And then his last year at Louisville, he really popped off. Um, yep. And sometimes with these one-hit wonders, it's a little bit of, okay, is this – the growth and a sign of things to come, or was this just a flash 
in the pan. So how much does that necessarily concern you when looking at his tape and, and how he'll help out the Bucks? Um, I think that I, I'm encouraged by what, what I think he can bring to the team and, and by his development. He, he scored well on a snap by snap basis two years ago, even though he didn't have the eye popping, you know, sack numbers and even the, the pressure numbers. I'm trying to pull it up here real quick. Um, last year, 36 pressures the year before that 22. So uh, a decent jump there. Um, the sacks went from two to 10 and his conversion rate was a little high on his last year, but a lot of that, I think, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with Yaya for those who are worried about that one year wonder when you consider how Louisville played him. Yaya was one of so many edge rushers that uh, came out of college this year where their college teams use them as almost like a defensive and an interior defensive lineman lining them up in the four eye position uh, quite a bit. And it's hard to win as a pass rusher when you're set up in a four eye alignment, you're, you're really just, yeah. you're, you're in position really more to, to set the edge and, and handle the run and not really get after the quarterback. So I think if the bucks utilize him as an actual outside linebacker or edge rusher, where he's setting up in the, the five, the seven or the nine more often, I, I still think that he will be a boon to this bucks pass rush room. And I think he will help improve the depth over where they were last year. Jeremy Lowe says, Yaya looking like he's going to take your lunch money. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, Darius Miller saying, they got faster with Cansey, Diaby, and Dennis. Of course, that was an MO of the Bucks front office this year is finding value and getting speed. And it sounds like they did both of that. And then Mark Fisher says, uh, pass rush, biggest variables are Shaq Barrett and JTS. Could be anywhere from strong to non-existent. No one knows we're going to talk about Shaq Barrett and JTS in just a moment. It sounds like you, uh, you have an opinion on that though, Josh. I do. Um, I would say non-existent is probably outside the realm of reality barring injury. Um, but I can see what Mark is, is saying. You know, there are a lot of uh, question marks, especially with Shaq Barrett, um, some with JTS, but I, I'm reluctant to call any Todd Bowles defense that has even a modicum of talent uh, a non-existent pass rush. He's going to find a way to get after the quarterback. Even last year, um, which I would say was potentially the worst pass rush defense Bowles has ever put out, at least since he got to Tampa, yeah. they still ranked you know, very high in sacks. You know, I want to say top five in sacks. Yeah, And they were top 20 in pressures. So that's not non-existent. It may be disappointing to Bucks fans, but definitely not non-existent. Yeah, I was saying that on yesterday's show, and it's like head-scratching because if you just did the eye test and you didn't look at, like, stats or watch tape and you're just talking about just watching stuff, you would not go, man, something's off with the Bucks' pass trust. They just they don't look the same or like they did a couple seasons ago, as you just alluded to. And then you compare it to the rest league, like you said, like they're in the top, the top 10 stacks, you know, they did it by a committee for a, a good part of that like, season, even with some downplay from the outside linebackers. And sure, some of that had to do with Shaq Barrett getting injured. And, and you know, we've talked about JTS and Anthony Nelson a lot. And that's why Vita Bea, the nose tackle, led the team in sacks. But uh, 
you know, if that was a down year for the Bucs, there's a lot of optimism going into this season with um, just, you know, uh, wiping up the slate clean, essentially. I know there's a lot of optimism as well. If you drink a Celsius energy drink, which, of course, is the presenting sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast, um, no sugar. And, of course, it um, Celsius has a ton of different flavors. You see the Oasis vibe on the screen there. Uh, one of the newest flavors that Celsius has. You got the sparkling lemon lime and sparkling orange as well. ton of great flavors. I love the Arctic vibe as well. And the strawberry lemonade has been one of my favorites that is my absolute go-to. Uh, if you want to know where to get a Celsius, punch in your address on the store locator on the Celsius website, and uh, it will give you the direct location of where you can find one at your closest convenience, whether it's a convenience store, a 7-Eleven, a Walmart, a Target, or a bodega. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius Energy Drinks, the official sponsor of the Peter Report podcast. All right, Josh, let's uh, – oh, he's rocking some Celsius right now. My man. Got the got lemon there? lime. Lemon lime. So I've awesome. created a little little bit of a habit recently of uh, starting my day with the green apple cherry, which I think hits okay. perfect in the morning. And then I switch over to the lemon lime for the afternoon to get me through the rest of the day. And it is phenomenal. I love it. I love it. That's, uh, again, taking advantage of all the flavors that Celsius has. They have so many that you can, you can have a different lineup like every single day. It's, uh, it's absolutely crazy, which is, uh, which is awesome to see. We love Celsius. So let's talk about the incumbents of uh, the outside linebackers that are coming through. Uh, we just talked about before, he's not inside linebacker, but Vita Vea led the team in sacks last year. Among the edge rushers, Anthony Nelson led the team with five and a half sacks. JTS was second with four. Carl Nassib, who's not on the team this year, had three and a half. Shaq Barrett got injured after week eight, had three. Jarrett Avery tacked one on as well. Um, the other interesting thing, though, and, you know, we've heard you defend Joe Tryon-Shanko a lot in terms of the, the production, and he's getting there. It's all about the, the, the pressures as well. That can't be overlooked. JTS blew everybody out of the water in terms of quarterback hits. He had 14 quarterback hits for the Bucs last season. That was double digits more than uh, than anybody else. Uh, Anthony Nelson had six. So did Carl Nassib. Shaq also had six. And Jannard Avery had five. So you're backing up what you're saying, man, with JTS. It, he's getting to the quarterback. Just the results weren't always right there um let's start with Shaq though I mean we talked about him coming back from the Achilles injury and then this personal tragedy unfortunately with the loss of his daughter I don't even know what to expect from Shaq this year I mean football doesn't even seem serious anymore at this point when you're talking like it doesn't even matter at this point when you're talking about uh, a family situation like that but like expectations wise yeah football just seems so minute I'm not exactly sure what Tampa Bay is going to get from Shaq. I mean, maybe he looks at football as a good distraction in one way or another. Maybe it motivates him because he's also coming off of that Achilles injury. I just don't know how to really put a, a, a measurement on like what Shaq is going to bring to the Bucks this year. Yeah. And, and that's very fair. And I think you did a great job of kind of like addressing 
there are lots of things in this world that are way more important than football. Football is a great, great distraction for many of us and, and, and an outlet and a release for us. And uh, what, what Shaq Barrett's had to go through personally over these last month or so is, I couldn't imagine it. I have two, two kids of my own yeah. and I don't know what I would do if something like that happened. Um, to the, the last point you made though, myself and I know many other people in this world, when something like that befalls you, you need something to focus on to take your mind off of those tragic events. So yeah. this could be something that he dives into as an escape. Okay. Um, as far as physically, he is coming back from probably the worst possible injury he could have suffered for his skill set and in terms of timetables. Um, these days, an ACL tear, guys are back to 80% of what they were about a year later. Eight, with Achilles injuries, it's usually not for the second season on that you really see them get back anywhere close to the talent level that they were at pre-injury. Um, and I think this first season back for Shaq, just from that standpoint, you were going to see him take a, a fairly significant step back in what he's, he's shown he's capable of doing. Um, he was, he was having a fairly down year to begin with before the injury last year. Yeah. I think his pressure rate had fallen off from, you know, pre-injury, he was running about, I think, like a 15% pressure rate, somewhere like that, fairly consistently over the three years prior. Um, and last year, I want to say that fell to like 11%. That's a pretty steep drop-off. This year, I would be impressed if he was at 9 to 10% pressure rate. Um, and over, say, 450 to... Uh, 500 pass rush snaps, you're looking at 45 to 50 pressures. Now, that's actually pretty decent volume when you look at it versus the rest of the NFL. It's about half of the pressures that he was putting up in uh, 2018, I'm sorry, 2019, 2020, mm -hmm. 2021. So you're looking at, at a significant fall off from his pre-injury levels. Um, and, and I think if you get that nine to 10%, you're pretty happy given the circumstances. So, and it would represent a huge improvement over the level of production they had for the guys trying to fill his shoes, um, after he went down last year between Anthony Nelson and Carl Nassib. Yeah. And we saw some crazy moments with them where they had to, well, Carl got hurt too, but just Anthony Nelson and. Joe Tronchenko just starting every single bell game, to bell playing, playing every single snap. That's what I meant to say. Just playing every <laughs> single one, even in that last week of the season where it wasn't really needed. I think the other side of Shaq with the Achilles injury that we kind of forget at times, just because whether you're a reporter or you're a fan, things move so quickly. I was listening to an interview earlier today uh, where J.J. Watt was was talking, and obviously J.J. Watt had a number of injuries through his career. And he said people forget and don't realize, and we've been so accustomed in sports now, like, oh, he tore his ACL, he tore his Achilles, he'll be back in eight months. But no one thinks about, like, what that individual person is doing during those eight months. It's just kind of like, oh, we'll see you at training camp next year. But Sometimes guys come back too early. And I'm not saying that's the case with Shaq at all. 
Sometimes guys come back too early. Sometimes there's a setback. Other times, mentally, it takes a lot to get back into it. So that's what kind of concerns me more with Shaq. But then you hear Shaq on the Loose Cannons podcast, and he's like, yeah, I don't feel any pain at all <laughs> or anything <Yeah. laughs> or anything of that nature. So that's why I think it makes it so difficult. Because if he's not feeling anything pain-wise, well, then, like, I think that's half the battles when guys come back. It's like, oh, is this going to hurt me here? And that's where the kind of mental aspect comes in. But if you're absolutely pain-free, then it's like, oh, well, is he not able to cut a certain way? Is he not able to, you know, his MO was getting off the ball quickly. What if even a half second, that could kill Shaq. That could kill Shaq in a situation where he's got to get the right hand placement. He's got to get going right away. And if he doesn't, then he's then he's done because he doesn't do well against some of the, the larger offensive tackles in this league. I do think, though, you know, three sacks in eight games wasn't ideal. But I would like to think with nine more games to go in that season, if Shaq was healthy, at some point he turns it on. And, you know, even if he ended the year with, I don't know, five more sacks in, in the last nine games, I'm not saying 100% he would have done that. I do think Shaq is fairly resilient. And he's the type of guy where he hates off. I don't get a sack. I'm going to get three sacks the next game. He's definitely a resilient type of uh, outside linebacker but it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do for next season let's talk about joe tryon shayinka though uh you're his number one backer i guess i, I should say <laughs> where uh, people are very up and down with joe tryon shayinka uh you, you've been this whole time so you're gonna get your flowers this year if jts has that like quote unquote breakout season you wrote an article recently about what Joe Tryon-Shanka has to do to earn that, uh, that fifth-year contract, first-round pick, and the ball has to saw that. But whatever, well, you already feel that he's earned that. I feel he's earned it, too, just in terms of, you know, he's outside linebacker, too, right now. And sure, we'll see what happens with Yaya and some of the other guys, and there's free agent signings. But while this year will be very telling about Joe Tryon-Shanka, there's at least a baseline on him where – you know he's there like 95% of the time. It's just the other 5% of making the tackle on the sack. And that kind of goes back to the pressures that you've been talking about and, and the QB hits that he had last year. Yeah, I, I sacks are one of the easiest um, statistics to identify on a box score. And they're obviously huge plays throughout the course of a game. It's a negative play for the offense. Um and it makes sense. And they, they need to be a part of any defense, uh, defense's success. As I've said many, many times before, um, they are just, they're, they're difficult to predict. Uh, there is no predictive value in a, a large enough data set um, to say that this guy had X sacks these three years, so that he's going to get Y sacks next year. The much more predictive statistic is pressures and, it, if you think about it, you don't want a guy who's just good on 12 plays out of a 17-game season. Okay, You want a guy who's going to be good on you know, 35 to 40 plays a game, right? And pressures are a much larger sample set statistic, and they're much more stable year to year. So if you look at Joe Tryon-Shrienka from a pressure standpoint last year, 
his performance, you look at it from a different you know, volume of pressures. You can look at it from his pressure rate. You can look at it from his PFF's pass win rate, um, quarterback hits, uh, which you brought up earlier. And all of those, he ranks somewhere between like low 20s and mid 30s among all pass rushers in the NFL. So that's really kind of what you would define a high end number two pass rusher. And if you were to tell most people at the, when Joe Tryon Shienka was drafted at the beginning of uh, the 2021 season, that by the end of his second season, he'd be performing like a high end number two. I think most people would say, well, that means he's doing really well. And he is now I, most people come at me about the sack numbers and I'm, I'm going to sit there and say, Yes, he does need to finish more plays than he did last year. I also think that based on stabilization rates of, of converting pressures to sacks, there's a good chance he's going to do that this year. And when you talk about all the things required of a pass rusher to be successful, the easiest to teach is how to finish. The hardest to teach is how to win against another massive human being who wants to stop you from attaining your goal. So all of that put together, I do think that he's going to have a nice platform season here. I think he's going to earn that fifth-year option. I think he's going to be pleasantly surprising to a lot of Bucks fans who have been frustrated with him. Um, and I think that he's going to go a long way to kind of mending that gap between Shaq Barrett's performance pre-injury and where he is uh, most likely going to be this year. They're going to need someone to step up, and I think JTS is the prime candidate to do so. I mean, I'm not expecting a ton from a rookie this year. I think anything Yaya brings will be um, exciting more than anything else, as uh, Richard asked, who has more upside, Yaya or Jose Ramirez? I still think it's Yaya. I mean, they drafted yeah. him in the third round for a reason. He's got that size, but appreciate yep. the question. Um, Alan Daniel says, think Diaby will produce at all this year. We kind of talked about that uh, earlier in the show. Matthew Sam says, I just, I think JTS has a moderate to good year, maybe five to eight sacks. Joel with an interesting comment. I'd rather see him get picks than sacks. We don't really see too many outside linebackers get interceptions. And then Darius says, I think JTS will ball out. He showed progress from his rookie season to last season. I think it clicks for him year three. He was constantly in reach on many plays last season. Yeah, it was very much close, but no cigar. But if he can just cut down that last part, um, that can do a big difference for this Buccaneers defense. So let's talk about the next guy, Anthony Nelson. Why do you hate Anthony Nelson? <laughs> I don't hate Anthony Nelson. He seems like a perfectly nice human being. Um, I think Anthony Nelson has, I think people are expecting too much of him. If anything, I'm probably his biggest defender in a weird way, because based on the hype that he received for a completely outsized performance last year, in terms of just converting his very few pressures into sacks, I think that he's going to have unreasonable expectations placed on him this year. And I'm worried that people are going to be disappointed with him based on that very volatile sack production from last year, um, when most likely those numbers fall back down to earth. I think that's the best way I can put it. I think Anthony Nelson's a perfectly fine 
um, depth outside linebacker who's a solid run defender. Um, and when everything breaks down in front of him from the offensive tackle standpoint, he's very good at taking advantage, right? So if the offensive tackle completely blows his pass set or forgets to block Anthony Nelson, Nelson is great at making sure that he pays for it. Uh, those yeah. opportunities are just very few and far between. That's, that's the issue there. Um, last year on a, as a pass rusher on a snap to snap basis, it was probably his worst season since, since his rookie year. Um, he just happened to clean up a lot of mistakes that, uh, offensive lines made in front of him. And it turned into some really big plays, a couple of sack fumble force fumbles. And I just, I don't think that you can count on him to be a, an even average pass rusher on a down to down basis. Um, and if, you know, if one of Shaq or JTS were to go down, I would want Yaya in there over Anthony Nelson. Oh, wow. That's a, uh, that's a bit of a bold take there. There's a higher ceiling as a pass rusher. We know what Anthony Nelson is as a pass rusher and it's just not much. And I like what Richard says here. I need Anthony Nelson to knock down more passes, but I do not want to see him out in the flats with RBs and slot receivers. You know what he's going to bring. I actually, what I really like is what Chris said. Nelly's a five-sack guy in a good year, and that is okay. I agree with that. If Anthony Nelson gets five to six sacks per season as outside linebacker three, I think that's more than all right for just this overall group for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It does always seem funny that guys produce their best when they're in a contract year. And, you know, Anthony Nelson, at least as far as I'm aware, didn't have a Tanya Harding situation where he paid for someone to go out and injure Shaq Barrett and, and Carl Nassib. Was it Tanya Harding? Who was it? It, it was uh, Tanya Harding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Nancy. Nancy Kerrigan. Kerrigan. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. That was the situation. Yeah. I don't think Anthony Nelson had that. I don't think he snapped his fingers and all of a sudden half the outside linebacker room got injured, so he got to play all the time. He very much took advantage of the situation he was in, uh, led the Bucks in forced fumbles, at least among the outside linebackers, and I think the Bucks going in don't expect Anthony Nelson to start. Uh, I think they were very surprised that they got him back. He is a quality third-string outside linebacker, and that's exactly what they want from him going into this season, and I think that's what they'll get. Now, obviously, we talked a lot about the outside linebackers and the pass rush. But as we know, with the Todd Bowles defense, the pass rush comes from everywhere. <clears throat> everywhere. Um, Devin White, obviously, blitzing off the ball. Um, you know, Vita Vea, I've already said it a billion times, led the team in sacks this year. So what's the biggest element for you, Josh, uh, that you want to see from the Bucks defense this year? Is it just getting the same type of production from the defensive line? Does Devin White have a renaissance type of year as a, as a blitzer? Servase Dennis, maybe he comes in and gets some blitzing capabilities. Uh, what are you looking for uh, in that area from the Bucks? Well, I think, you know, kind of going back to the title uh, of today's podcast, how good can the Bucks pass rush be? Yes. I think the linchpin there is Kalijah Kansi. Yeah. If Cansey can be as a situational pass rusher as good as advertised, living up to that 15th overall, or I'm sorry, seventh, when did the Bucks take him? It feels like two, two years ago now. Or did they take him at um, 19th. 19th overall? Yeah. 19th overall pick. 
I think the Bucks can be a top 10 unit when you add in, you know, the creativity of Bowles and, and the fact that I think that there's more depth to this line. I think Cansey is kind of um, key number one. And I think Greg Gaines kind of returning to his pre 2022 um, abilities is key number two, because that gives you somebody reliable inside next to Vita Vea who can get after the passer a little bit, or at least move the pocket give JTS and give Shaq Barrett more one-on-ones force offenses to potentially keep tight ends and backs in a little bit more. And I think that's how the bucks can return to really being kind of a a top 10, you know, not just from a sack production standpoint, but from a legitimate consistent pass rush standpoint. Um, So that's the unlock that I'm looking for. That's what I, you know, as somebody who wants the bucks to do well, that's what I'm hoping for is that Cansey gains and to a lesser extent, Logan Hall with some additional development that they can become a reliable interior presence next to Vita Vea. Because when you look at the Bucks pass rush last year, outside of blitzing linebackers and defensive backs, the two things that they were missing is in the second half of the season, um, a consistent edge presence uh, opposite of Joe, Joe Tryon Shoyanka but right. all year they were really missing anybody on the interior who could get consistent pressure next to Vita Vea. Akeem Hicks was injured for most of the year. Didn't have a very good pass. I mean, he was solid against the run, um, but he, he wasn't a very solid pass rusher last year. Right. Logan Hall was understandably overmatched just because he was still trying to change his body. Um, Rakeem Nunez, Rochez, Deidre Sanat, and, um, and even Will Golston, all more run defenders than they were pass rushers. None of them could really give a consistent pass rush. So if they can get that, if the Bucks can get that between that rotation of Gaines, Cansey, and Hall, that's the unlock for me. Because you're going to get the pressures from the linebackers. You're going to get the pressures from the DBs and with those some sacks. And that's just something you should expect from a Todd Bowles defense. It's does he have to blitz as much in order to create that pressure? Or can he get a little bit further to where you're seeing the elite pass rushes in the NFL right now, which are pass rushes that are really only sending four guys, but they're eight guys deep. The Eagles, the 49ers, your Jets, right? All of those teams, they're not necessarily blitzing a ton. They just have dudes at the the fifth, the sixth, the seventh um, defensive line options are able to, to sub in and give that extra pass rush. Josh, you hit the nail right on the head because what I was going to say is I want Todd Bowles to blitz because he wants to blitz, not because he has to blitz or needs to. And I feel like the Bucs in many situations last year, they needed to blitz in order to get to the quarterback. And sure, a lot of the times it, it worked out, but there was no other way they were getting after the quarterback unless they, they blitzed in that situation. And I don't want the Bucs to be in that. The other part of it, which you talked about, is, and I'm glad you brought up Greg Gaines, another new addition for the Bucs to the defensive line this year. I don't want the Bucs, sorry, I want the Bucs to not be in a situation where they're just relying on Vita Vea. You need, Vita Vea cannot take the brunt of all this. He is a huge force when he's in there. I'm fine with the amount of snaps that he played last year because I know in the past it's been like, oh, why aren't you playing Vita Vea as much? Let's remember, Vita Vea 
does tend to break down at times, just injury-wise. Like, last year was the first time in a while that, uh, from what I recall, that he was, like, fairly healthy. The past couple years, I mean, the Super Bowl year, he missed half the season. It was a surprise that he came back for the um, for the NFC Championship game and then the Super Bowl. So I think it is important to preserve Vita Vey. And if you're asking him to be the Hulk and kind of save the Bucks' interior defensive line, that's probably not a good thing for this team. So I think Gaines is going to be super valuable. I think Logan Hall just getting more playing time is really important. That's something that Casey Rogers talked about. He said, yeah, it's kind of on me. We needed to play Logan Hall more. We just didn't because that's how the rotation was. And Kalijah Kansi very well could be the, the, the caveat to all this. Maybe not the caveat. That's not the right word. But just like the last piece of the puzzle, really, to mm-hmm. all of this. That first quick step, I mean, you did a tremendous job during uh, Peter Report's live draft show. I would recommend everybody to go back and check it out. It's early on day three before the draft started rolling in. You did a tape breakdown of what – you did it of multiple players, but Kalijah Kansi specifically. You went into like what he's going to bring to this team, how he's got a fir- just an explosive first step and how he does have a nice pass rushing move and he can move laterally. And these are all things that the Bucks have it here and there, but not the total package like Elijah Kansi can bring. So that's definitely uh, an area that'll be really exciting. And they get more production out of the pass rush with just a four-man pass rush or just bringing the guys on the defensive line. That is absolutely going to be money. And speaking of money, let's talk about Immuni Financial. At Amuni Financial, we help you live in the now. Congratulations, we're so happy Thank you. Thank you. And even though the now may feel very different, you still need to plan for the future. How's retirement treating you? Oh, just fantastic. I know I say it all the time, but you really got to come up to Colorado. Let's do it. All right. We can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow, today. Amuni Financial. Plan ahead. Stay ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, Pewter Report has finally gone to Colorado. That is right. (laughs) Pewter Report's own Scott Reynolds is in Colorado at the moment with his wife, Ashley. They are on vacation at the moment. I can't wait to hear all about the trip when he's back on the Pewter Report podcast uh, starting next week. But go to immunifinancial.com. Go to their website. See how they can help you. They have so many different ways they can help, whether it's advisory services, brokerage services, um, different investment strategies. If you're saving up for uh, your child's college fund, they can help you out with that as well. Annuities, sales, and trading. So uh, call Muni Financial today or go to their website and uh, see how they can help you. You can do a consultation as well. And why not? Can't hurt you. So uh, check out Muni Financial. Let's get back to the show. Uh, we were looking for, who was it? Uh, Jay Ray's comment. What did Jay Ray have to say? It's like the fourth one from the bottom there. Fourth one. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Jay Ray says, uh, last three years, we drafted three defensive linemen with our first pick. They need to show up this year. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, I would, I would encourage Jay Ray to, to keep in mind context, right? Um, specifically for Kalijah Kansi. Defensive tackle is one of the most difficult positions to come in as a rookie and just have an immediate impact. What you're hoping is that the Bucks put him in, in position to succeed, 
um, more often than not, and that they don't try and um, rely on him too much. But I think we talked about where Joe try on Shoyinka, where he can improve, right? It's the finishing um, with a modest improvement in his pressure rate. And he really has, that would allow him to ascend into what you would expect out of the 32nd overall pick out of in a, a fairly soft draft. Um, for Logan Hall, I think there's the guy who really needs to show the biggest improvement. Um, because last year, for anything you want to say about JTS's first two years, he certainly performed a heck of a lot better, even with context, than Logan Hall. Logan Hall yeah. looked overmatched last year, completely outside of maybe the Green Bay game. So that's the guy who I would say out of the three is under the biggest pressure to show up. Um, and, and Callie Bucks, that, that's a perfectly valid way of, of, of looking at it because he showed very little in terms of with all of these guys, what you're hoping in year one is do you see glimpses Flashes. of what they can be? Right. And with Hall outside of that Green Bay game, there was not much, you know, um, again, you can look at the raw sack numbers and say, uh, wasn't completely out of line for a lot of other guys, but it's that down to down play where he was getting manhandled. Um, so you hope that the the body development happened over the off season. I think the Bucks have said he's he's right at around two ninety six. Yeah, real close to three hundred, which is that's like a fifteen pound improvement over where yeah. he was last year. You hope that it doesn't stop um, the athleticism yeah, that yeah. <laughs> that the Bucks liked when they drafted him with the first pick of the second round. But overall, I think Jerry had a great point that yes, the Bucks have invested in this defensive line. Some of the most successful teams in the NFL. That's what they're doing. The the Philadelphia Eagles, they've they've invested in defensive line in their first round, the last three picks, right? Of, over the last two drafts. The 49ers put a lot of uh, money and, and draft picks into their defensive line. The Jets have done that. That's where most of this the most successful defenses have gone. But you've got to get return on that investment. This is the year where it's reasonable to to say we need to see that out of guys like JTS, Logan Hall, and then flashes out of someone like Kalijah Kansi and Yaya Diaby. Love this point from Richard Taroka says, it's rare when a DT comes in rookie and goes off. Chris Jones wasn't Chris Jones until his third year. Yeah, absolutely. And I've said this before on the show, um, but I do think it's important. Patience is not something that people like to hear in the NFL, whether it's a coach and a GM that struggles out the gate, whether it's a, you know, a quarterback that gets drafted first overall, but some guys take longer to develop than others. And that's to a degree. Okay. You know, can't take you, can't take you forever, but if you don't, you know, fire out of a cannon pun intended since it's the box right away, you know, there's still time to make it up. And, you know, we talked a lot about JTS. There's concerns about him. If you're comparing Logan Hall and JTS, who you're more worried about, I think it's without question. You're more worried about, Logan Hall going into going into this year. And maybe if someone like Will Golson isn't here and he's getting more of those reps, that's the best thing for him. But yeah, there's a lot riding on Logan Hall this year because as you said, investments, younger players, some of them have to work out. You know, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, they can cover, but they can't cover all day. If you're not getting into the quarterback, that's going to change uh, a lot of things for this team. And then Todd Bowles has to blitz again. And then you're going back to, well, you sent Devin White a thousand times in the blitz. Maybe you should pay him. That's yep. the argument for it. And, and one last point, uh, you know, with regards to that, and, and this just goes back to my JTS defense. 
I, I really like to bring up this example. The Green Bay Packers have probably a top 10, maybe top 15 edge rusher on their team. His name's uh, Rashawn Gary, yep. right? And if you were to ask Bucks fans, how many sacks did Rashawn Gary have in his first two seasons with the Packers? What numbers do you think they might throw out? Like cumulative sacks between the first two years combined. For Rashawn Gary? Yeah. Um, I would say maybe like five a season, so 10. Yeah, he had five in the second season. He had two in the first. He had seven sacks through his first two years. Now, he had a huge breakout season in year three, which is what has helped him ascend to yes. his current um, very, very impressive heights where he had nine and a half sacks. But again, there was that that sack production isn't always indicative of the level of play. And I want to be very clear here. I do not think JTS is on the same level as Rashawn Gary, but I think <laughs> that the, the, the career arc in terms of how their improvement can be very, very similar. Um, just not to the heights that Rashawn Gary had. I think it's an excellent point. And I think you can say the same with someone like Vita Vea. Vita Vea didn't, you know, dominate when he first got into the league, which is super important. So, uh, you know, don't lose hope just yet on Logan Hall. There's, you're rightfully, if you want to be concerned a little bit, I get it. But don't completely doubt him just yet. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Want to remind everybody, if you're new to PeterReport.com or a fan, please follow us on our social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PeterReport. And, of course, our YouTube channel, TV. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Always putting out content. Of course, we have the show four times a week. Uh, we have a very exciting show coming up tomorrow. I will be joined at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 p.m. with WDAE's Zach Blobner. You may know him from... The J and Z show on WDAE that goes from noon to about three. He's going to join me tomorrow as we talk about uh, just more things about the Bucks offseason, how he views the team at this point heading into uh, OTAs and, and mini camp and obviously training camp is around the corner. So very fun show. Big fan of Zach. Love the Z man. Love Josh Capo as well. That's going to do it for us on today's show. For Josh Capo, I'm Matt Matera saying thank you everybody for watching. We will see you tomorrow for another edition of the Peter Report Podcast. Peace out.